Hey y'all, pull up a chair, stay a while. You're tuned into the Our Stomping Ground podcast, hosted by Jack Young and Jared Hurst. You have tuned in to the Our Stomping Ground podcast. We got an awesome episode coming up for you guys, but first we'll give you a quick update on our lives. How you doing, Jared? I'm doing good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I've had a very eventful week this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you giggled, especially yesterday. So, um, yeah. I've been hunting Jackers, this piece uh, of... Jack owes me a shirt tail. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've missed twice already. So, I don't think we talked about opening weekend of rifle. Um, I tried to get a deer with Lauren. Um, I was on the gun. I wanted to kind of go from field to table with her and kind of show her how it's done. I don't think she's ready to to pull the trigger yet, but um, just kind of wanted to do the whole experience with her. And, of course, you know... It was actually kind of slow opening day um, of rifle. There wasn't that many shots, um, none on our club. And uh, we were sitting in a ground blind kind of on this pine uh, ridge, about you know mm-hmm. four-year-old pines. And it's really a bow blind. I don't have any rifle stands set up. But I was pretty confident that I would catch some, some deer running back and forth. And so uh, I saw a doe. And, uh, of course I forgot my shooting stick <clears throat> and, uh, I go and I rushed a shot and, uh, cause I was worried about my wind and, uh, kind of put the rifle on my hand, you know, elbow on my knee and just, I pulled it and, um, I missed her and waited a second. I, I honestly, I didn't know if I hit her at first um she ran off and then another doe came up behind her after that and i just waited got out of the blind and couldn't find any blood so i was pretty confident that i missed her um but in trying to find blood i did find a bunch of fresh scrapes all around that area so it's going to be a good place but i haven't really had time to hunt that spot again so yeah I saw a bunch of deer opening weekend of rifle season. Uh, trying to think. Uh, first morning, yeah, opening morning of rifle season, it was cold and windy. And I sat on the 25-acre track. I think I saw seven deer that morning. Uh, I saw a shooter buck right at first light. Literally, I climbed in the stand, and as soon as I lifted my binoculars up, I saw him walking straight away from me and going up the hill. And when I say first light, I mean, it was like still dark. Um, and so I said, Oh, there he is. And I didn't really, when, as soon as I saw like identified the deer as, you know, a shooter buck, it's a wide, wide buck. I'm pretty sure it's a wide eight point that I have pictures of. I grabbed the rifle and, uh, I got situated to try and find the deer in the scope and uh, 
frantically zigzagging back and forth with the scope, trying to find the deer walking straight away from me and going uphill. And I never was able to find the deer in the scope. Uh, if it had been five, six, seven minutes later, I probably would have killed him. But for one reason or another, I don't know why. Just in the heat of the moment, I could not find the. I had it zoomed all the way out. I was trying to find him, but I just could not pick him up walking up the hill. Um, I ended up seeing a lot of deer that morning. Watched two little bucks sparring, which is cool. I got a little bit of video of that. Um, that track of land is a lot of fun. It's only 25 acres. It's a perfect rectangle. It sits on a hillside, and it's thorough cut pine trees. There's literally, that's it. Um, but there's a lot of deer in that area, and every time I sit there, I see six, eight, you know, deer, a lot of bucks. I saw uh, this past weekend, one morning hunt, I saw a two-year-old eight-point, watched him for 45 minutes, just milling around and going about his day. Um, so it's cool. You see a lot of deer over there. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I've had a couple chances to hunt a uh, rifle out of the saddle uh, the past couple weeks. Um, mm -hmm. My first opportunity was actually right before rifle season opened up. Um, there's a WMA not too far away from my house that Scott and I hunted. Um, they opened like two days before rifle season. And that first afternoon, I hunted with Scott and second afternoon i ended up not going on friday and scott put the hammer down on a, on a massive public land buck oh yeah i saw pictures that was a stud yeah i mean yeah i'm so happy for him he does it every year and this year he got married and he has like 35 kids so he has to <laughs> scout for all them too and um he didn't hunt this much that much this year so far and um what do you know? After a couple sits, he puts the hammer down on a big one on public too. Yep. So yeah, I'm, I'm learning. Uh, talking about rifle hunting out of the saddle, it's definitely. I would say it's an advantage to doing it out of a climber or out of a lock on, mm -hmm. because you can use your bridge for a gun rest. It, I say a gun rest. You have the ability to at least brace yourself. Yeah. Somewhat against the bridge and the tree tether and all that. But what I've done is I started carrying an extra screw in step and I screw, I, you know, when I get in the stand, I kind of just eyeball where I think it needs to be at for potential, you know, where I think my shot's going to be mm -hmm. and then the correct height. Uh, it's a little bit of a guessing game, but uh, just screw in a screw in step into the tree. And I've got, you know, something that at least, uh, a little more sturdy of a gun rest to, to put the uh, forearm on and shoot off of. But um, anything that would be basically from nine o'clock or from three o'clock to nine o'clock, you either have to be freehand or somehow or another try and figure out how to get your elbow some wet, like your forearm or your elbow or something wedged up against your bridge and pull against it at the same time to get a little bit of a steady shot off it's kind of a yeah. trick but it's definitely doable and uh i mean if the deer is basically on the other side of the tree it's perfect because you're leaning away from the tree you just rest the forearm against the screw-in step flick the safety off and shoot him i mean you got it's as solid of a rest as you're ever going to have mm -hmm. uh, in that scenario but if it comes from behind you you kind of gotta yeah fly by the seat of your pants on that one yeah 
Well, we also got a uh, chance to hunt together. It's been a while. We did. Yeah. We haven't deer hunted together in quite some time. Yeah. So I drove down to your club, and you drove up from Jacksonville. So spent some time in kind of south, I know you guys, middle Georgia. I put y'all in the wrong stand that last <laughs> morning. We, yeah. uh, I mean, y'all were in good. You and Austin both. I mean, I put y'all in like easily the best spot on the property. Mm-hmm. Um, we've killed several bucks. Uh, I killed both of my bucks out of that area last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen a bunch of deer in that area before, but, uh, just one of them things, man, I, I checked the camera card after y'all left and right before I hit the road, hit coming home. And one of the shooter eight points was on camera at eight thirty that morning on a different stand on a different area of the property. Hmm. Um, and if I, if y'all would have, if one of y'all would have been sitting in the ground blind where you and Lauren were hunting at, somebody would have probably seen him cross that lane going into the creek. Yeah. Cause that's where he was headed to. Yeah. So. Well, that's that's what they call it in hunting, but um, yeah, that's why it's hunting. We do. Uh, I guess we can shift gears a little bit. We got a fishing podcast coming up for our listeners on this episode. Um, you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your guest? Yeah. So today we've got uh, Captain Tim Altman of Hoodoo Sport Fishing. Uh, Tim's a good friend of mine. He's very well known in the Northeast Florida fishing community. Um, He's retired, uh, retired United States Navy, been wahoo fishing for a long time. He's really good at high-speed trolling. He does some tournament fishing. He runs a tournament. Um, he also runs the Wahoo Junkies Facebook page. Uh, he eats, sleeps, and breathes wahoo fishing. And uh, we have quite quite a uh, lengthy discussion with him today, but uh, packed full of knowledge and wisdom and experience uh, and he he knows all the nuances he's he kind of helped pioneer that tactic front for our area along with several other guys that we get in you know we talk about but um you know the way we target wahoo today is a relatively newer tactic uh that's been refined over the last 10 to 15 years to what it is today and now it's a very deadly and very efficient way of targeting wahoo in northeast florida and, and up and down the eastern seaboard of the u.s yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, even uh, people around the world uh, as part of his Facebook page. So, Yeah, I mean, there's guys uh, from Saipan to South and Central America, the Caribbean, uh, up to the Outer Banks and Eastern Shore of Maryland, all over the Gulf Coast, uh, Louisiana, Texas, you name it. There's guys uh, that are a part of the Wahoo Junkies page. I think it's twelve or 13,000 members um, and a lot of wisdom there, a lot of tactics um a lot of fish caught absolutely well let's get into it thanks for tuning in to the our stomping ground podcast uh we got a great podcast for you guys today um we have captain tim altman on the line with us today and uh jared is uh is a good buddy of his his so i'll hand it over to jared to uh introduce him thanks man uh we are in for a treat today we have uh, Captain Tim, Alt- Tim Altman of uh, Hoodoo Sport Fishing. Uh, Tim is a well-known Wahoo fisherman out of Northeast Florida. Uh, him and a uh, good friend of ours, Casey Smith, run and manage a uh, page on Facebook called Wahoo Junkies, um, along with the Wahoo Zone Tackle website, which is affiliated with Strike Zone Fishing, for those of you that are familiar. Uh, Tim is 
a high-speed trolling aficionado. And uh, for those of us that know him quite well, uh, he is the honorary mayor of Whoville. Uh, in this episode, we're going to discuss how Captain Tim targets these beautiful fish in our waters, uh, his boat setup, terminal tackle, rods and reels, his spread, uh, what he looks for, how he plans his day. Um, and then in conclusion of our conversation, uh, Tim is going to discuss uh, the new Wahoo tournament format that he just came out with uh, this morning and uh, also the awesome giveaways they have planned on the Wahoo Junkies Facebook page. So with that said, without further ado, uh, how are you doing today, Mr. Tim? I'm doing good, Jared. How about you? Uh, just one more day at a time, trying to uh, <laughs> watch in the weather and trying to plan a deer hunting trip, trying to find a window to go off for fishing, just uh, one day at a time, I suppose. Well, I, I tell you, the, the wind the wind was kicking this morning. Uh, you know, it's, uh, what is it, Thursday the 29th? Is, it is Thursday, right? And the wind, yes. the wind was kicking pretty good this morning here. I live in uh, Callahan, Florida, just outside of Jacksonville. And uh, and the uh, an upscale trailer park here at Callahan. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we uh, I checked the Windfinder this morning and uh, looked the next three or four days ahead at the forty mile buoy out of St Augustine, and it was no less than five to seven every day for the next handful of days. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, so. uh, they're they're both going to fish it. I'm sure Jody, Jody Lynn may fish sometime. Uh, in here, you know, you got a 52 foot sport fisher that can plow through it, but it's still going to be. When you slow down to troll, it it's still it, it you bounce around a lot unless you got a sea keeper or something on it. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So, well, uh, let's uh, start out and tell the viewers where are you from and how did you become a captain and tell us how you got started in offshore fishing. Well, uh, originally I was born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, in, way back in. Uh, a long time ago, a long, long time ago in a far, <laughs> far place from here. Uh, I was born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I, I lived there, and my dad, uh, he had a small 21-foot boat, and we would, every other weekend, we would go to the uh, the Keys and uh, fish mostly inshore, and uh, believe it or not, it was, uh, I, I believe it was a, a 66 Chris Craft or something, 67 Chris Craft, it had a 60 horsepower outboard out on it, and it, I think it, ha it held like 35 gallons of fuel, and it had a cabin, and Dad had put uh, some mosquito nets and everything on it, and we would go spend the whole weekend. We would leave from Flamingo, and we would spend the whole weekend back in uh, Whitewater Bay, Florida Bay, and in the, the nights, we'd pull up into the mangroves and uh, be protected from the weather and spend the night there, and we'd fish the whole weekend, and we'd come home on Sunday. We'd leave as soon as he got off work on Friday, and we bolt down there. And then my life was rudely interrupted because my dad watched Green Acres one too many times and decided to move to Georgia <laughs> and uh, bought a farm. And uh, the boat, I remember, in, uh, in just giving away my age, uh, in 1969, we, we moved to Georgia. And the boat, we pulled it right up US-1 here. We came right through Callahan, and we crossed that Georgia line. That boat never saw the water again. He sold the boat in 73 for about $4,000 more than he bought it for. Um, and uh, and I commenced the bass fishing. And uh, eventually I got, you know, I in high school and uh, we had a farm truck. We had an old Dodge truck. And uh, after football games on Friday night, I played football. And I played basketball and baseball, but specifically during football season. 
I would uh, I would bolt when I was a eleventh grader. I would leave about uh, two in the morning and I would drive all the way to Fort Clinch, and I would uh, throw a, I'd buy some men of mud minnows down there from that little marina that was uh, or the little bait shop there, and uh, I would had a minnow trap and I'd get buy a crab and some mud minnows and I'd throw the, the uh, trap in the little creek on the way back to Fort Clinch, and I would go back there and flounder fish behind Fort Clinch, and I remember my first five-pound flounder. I did that all my junior and senior year of high school. I mean, and I had a girlfriend and all that. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'd go back there, and I would fish. And uh, eventually, uh, after high school, I I joined the Navy. Uh, yeah, a couple of years after high school, I, I piddled around from college a little bit and uh, joined the Navy and spent uh, almost 30 years in the Navy. And uh, during the Navy, if you're an enlisted guy in the Navy, you really can't afford to have a boat. And eventually, I got promoted enough to, to have one, and uh, we get, we finally got a boat a long time ago, and we graduated from a 21-foot well-craft to what I got now, a 36-foot contender. So, And uh, over a period of about you know, 25 years since then, I've been retired. I was in the Navy from 1981 through 2009. I retired in 2009. And uh, somewhere... In my last couple of years in the Navy, I, I decided that I wasn't going to coach high school football and baseball and, uh, and decided, okay, well, maybe I'll just charter fish a little bit. And so I took and uh, I, I got my captain's license while I was in the Navy back in 2007. And I piddled around with it and just, you know, and didn't really do anything with it. I, I'm an air traffic controller by trade. So I still work part-time as an air traffic controller and uh, I work a week and I'm off a week and I charter on my week off. And that gets us about to where we're at today. And the only thing I guess I'm leaving out is uh, I got hung up uh, with Wahoo uh, because of uh, Noah shutting down Red Snapper. It got me more motivated towards Wahoo. Definitely mm -hmm. got me more motivated towards Wahoo once they shut down Red Snapper. Yep. And uh, I was going to say the irony of that whole spiel is to this day uh, that spot I think I know exactly the spot you're talking about behind Fort Clinch is still <laughs> a quality flounder fishing hole. And it is. It is. I mean, it, uh, the, the whole time I was in the Navy, you know, I have, I have, a, I have a bunch of kids, and we, I would take the kids, and we, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a boat. We really couldn't afford one. I remember that the moment that we could afford one, when my wife finally got it, made enough money. I always said it when she finally made enough money because she always made more money than me. And uh, when we finally got that, uh, but we would go back there on vacation, whatever, wherever I was stationed, I was stationed in D.C. for almost four years, you know, or out and about. I was stationed, you know, pretty much all over the world. But we, I always took the kids there, and we would camp out, and we would fish behind Fort Clinch right there and catch flounder. And it was some – I've caught flounder up and down the East Coast from, you know, the Chesapeake Bay up and uh, up towards – Maryland and Ocean City, all the way down, uh, all the way down to here, and probably up here in Ocean or up here in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, is what there's a thing called the Ocean View Pier, and that was one of my favorite places to catch flounder. I would just go there and slay them, and mm -hmm. then uh, in behind Fort Clinch because my biggest flounder was caught off the Road Road Anthony Pier, in uh, uh, on the outer, outer banks, banks of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I called, I called, a, my, that's my biggest flounder. It was like I'm just shy of nine pounds. And so that's when, my biggest one today. When you guys got the contender and 
you know, or obviously the NOAA closure of Red Snapper kind of slowly transitioned into Wahoo, or had you been Wahoo fishing prior to that? Well, and I, then... I have, I have, I have been. Steve Grant had gotten me excited about Wahoo fishing, and uh, I had caught Wahoo, but we don't. We had a, I was fishing offshore uh, in a. I had a 21 foot well craft that I put an auxiliary tank on, and we'd run out of St. Augustine and we troll for dolphin. You know, you don't have it with a two stroke motor on the back of that thing. You don't really have enough fuel fuel mileage with it because uh, I joke that that 21 foot boat with a single 152 stroke on the back got worse gas mileage than my 26 foot boat with twin Yamaha 150s on the back, right? And that that got much better gas mileage. And we would run out there and every once in a while, you know, we catch one that wasn't bite you off. Uh, and uh, we had caught them before, but in 2000. Six, I believe it was two thousand. I believe it was two thousand six. I made my first trip out where I was targeting Wahoo. I caught a bunch of them, but I never went out and targeted them specifically, specifically. to target them. Right, yep. and we limited out. Yeah, and we were pulling bait. And I mean, and I still have that spot to this day. If you if you come in and look at my GPS, you'll see it says Wahoo X six right in that one spot. Now I haven't done very well there since that day. But I mean, I've caught fish there, but not like that day. It was every every time coming across the mark, and we were we were hooking up and double hooking up, and we had there we had uh, four of us on the boat, and we caught two prior in the day, and we caught six six in a matter of probably hour and a half, and uh, we had our limit, and we we went home, and I said, and I was been I've been a kind of addicted to it ever since then. Mm-hmm. So I know. Uh, uh... For the listeners, Tim and I have Tim has the big brother boat to the boat that I have. I have a 28 contender. Tim has a 36 contender, and uh, similar layouts. Tim's boat is just longer with an extra outboard. And I know recently, in the last year or so, you've done a lot of upgrades to the boat. Um, talk about that briefly. What what all you've done to upgrade uh, your contender and the power and, and power plant and electronics and all the other odds and ends that you've done to it. I've uh. I'm pretty much, it's pretty much a new boat. Uh, we uh, our first step was uh, I was up in Kodiak, Alaska. I have a son that's a a pastor at a church in Kodiak, Alaska, and I was talking to my wife. And my 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 motors were getting old. They they had like two thousand hours on them. And I was talking to my wife while we were up there visiting. I was catching some halibut, and we were fishing for salmon. I, I mean, it was just I love Kodiak, right? And we're up there, and I said, my son says, hey, you're selling this piece of land on a neighboring island for, like, it's like six acres with a silver salmon stream on it for, like, you know, $35,000. I said, man, I'm going to buy that, right? And so my son and I were talking, and then my wife, I mean, she, she says, that, that island's uninhabited. It, it doesn't even have a, a toilet. There's no electricity. I said, yeah, that's the beauty of it. <laughs> I'll never go there, blah, blah, blah. I thought you were getting new motors. I said, you're right. And so that began the, uh, the complete overhaul. I went out, I searched around. It was back in uh, 2018. Uh, I was searching, searching, and I couldn't get the, I couldn't replace the, uh, the 250 Yamaha's I had on there with uh, the 300s because the, everything was on back order. And then mm-hmm. the, the motors that, of the Mercury's that I wanted were the v, new V8 Mercury's. And it was a 24-month wait on them. And so I started pricing out Suzuki's. And, uh, I mean, the Suzuki's, we, we, I think we saved a little money. I probably saved about 
eight or nine grand with Suzuki's and we went with a triple white Suzuki's 300s on the back of it. And, uh, I guess, uh, it was the immediate effect. I mean, my, uh, maybe it was the extra horsepower and maybe it was the extra new motors, but my fuel, my fuel efficiency went up about 17 to 19% depending on the day. And, uh, I gained, uh, you know, I'm not really interested in, 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 yeah, a 70 mile an hour boat. I gained uh, about five miles an hour on the top end, I think. And I, and I pitched down with my props. I went from 23 pitch props to 21 and a half pitch props. So I think so, that made a big difference. Absolutely. So for those that may be unfamiliar with high speed trolling for Wahoo, uh, it is a uh, gas consumptive endeavor and fuel uh-huh. economy and fuel economy is a big part of, of that that world uh i know i repowered my contender this past year we went from uh twin 200 hpdis to twin 220 uh, f225 yamaha four strokes and we noticed a big jump in fuel economy and i'm excited uh this winter and spring to uh do a little wahoo fishing and see what the fuel burn is going to be like i know a lot of guys struggle with that they they only have enough fuel capacity to troll you know, four or five, six hours maybe um, before they have to change gears and either slow troll with bait or bottom fish because they just don't have the fuel capacity to do it all day and get home. Um, that's, the evolu- so- that's the evolution of how I got to the 36 contender. I mean, I had a boat that didn't have enough fuel to high speed all day. Um, and we were high, we were high speeding. And you know, Casey, uh, mm-hmm. Casey had the, Casey had a, a, a CV, uh, 29 CV that he fished. And, uh, so I would, I would see Casey out there high speed and, uh, I, you know, there was a long time there, Jared. I mean, there was a long time that I thought high speeding was 12 miles an hour, you know, 14 miles an hour <laughs> when I fished with Steve Grant. I mean, that's what we, that's what, that's kind of how we high sped. Right. Uh huh. Like, ah. And then one day, uh, you know, the evolution of going from where, where we were in 2009, to where I was in, say, 2013, uh, when I was really diehard into move, upgrading the boat and doing all the different stuff. It all came from, uh, you know, we used to all gather at CNH Lures and we all used to talk. And that's where I met Casey and Jimmy Holt and a lot of the good guys. And these guys can really fish. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, and I would talk to Casey and, like, the only guy who would ever, like, give me real information was a guy named Corey Mayer who won the Wahoo tournament, right? Mm-hmm. And Corey is a really nice guy. He's kind of a secretive guy, but when he talks to you, he's gonna he's gonna give you information. Casey, Corey, Casey. Corey is the man that speaks softly and carries a big stick, and when he speaks, uh, you listen. Yeah, absolutely. And and Casey and Casey and uh, when you know Casey would kind of like him haul around, you know, typical Casey because he's having fun with this, right? He really uh-huh. is, right? And. Uh, one day, uh, my, my friend and I, Dave Law, uh, I don't know if you know David Law, but David had, we were fishing on his boat. He had a 23-foot sea craft that we had to put, uh, God, what was it, four cans of gas under the under the leaning post. And when we got out there, I think that's an extra 20 gallons or an extra 24 gallons or something like that. And when we got out there, we poured that 24 gallons in and we were good for the day, but we couldn't high-speed all day because he had a single 300 E-Tech on it, right? Mm-hmm. And this is about 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. And I remember I looked out, we saw one day, we saw Casey. 
right? And we're like, man, Casey's in here shallow. We were fishing shallow, right? We had kind of broke away from the pack. Back in those days, everybody was fishing the ledge. They were fishing the ledge. And we fish, I traditionally fish, and I guess we'll get into that, but I traditionally fish, you know, from 105 to 140 feet. And I occasionally, I, I stroll outside of that. Um, but the monster fish that you're looking for are usually caught in that, you know, 145, 150 feet or less, 150 feet or less inside of the ledge. And we saw Casey, and we were out the old buoy bottom, which is, you know, just off St. Augustine. And we saw Casey come flying by. So I said, we said, man, it's like, it's like 11 o'clock. Where's Casey going? He must be moving, right? And we were doing, we were trolling, we were trolling like 13 then. And we looked over, and Casey had lines out. And I said, Dave, we're going too slow. We had caught a lot of fish, by the way. We were catching fish, right? And I said, we're going too slow. So we took in uh, with Casey. We sped up, and we took her up to about 18, 19 miles an hour. And we started catching fish, and we uh, it hasn't slowed. We haven't, I haven't slowed down since. I mean, I'm high speed and full. I'm a, Rick Riles thinks I'm a knuckle dragon high speed yep. and full. And I, and I love saying. Rick. Yep, and I love Rick too. But it's it's crazy to me. You talk, you you show pictures or videos to somebody who maybe they maybe they do offshore fish, but they're not in a wahoo, or or maybe they've never fished at all. And you show them videos of you fishing with lines out, and they look at you and go, "Why are you running?" And I'm like, "No, we're trolling." And trolling. Yeah. yeah, they their jaw hits the floor and their eyes roll and you can see the wires crossed in their head and they can't quite put it together they don't understand they like they're asking like how like how how do you do that and then he explained to them you know listen we were using big big lures big heavy weights we're using tuna rods and 300 pound tackle and uh kind of give them the spleel on on how it goes like my dad for example um my dad has not high speed trolled yet but he will this year and uh He's a pretty much a lifelong king fisherman, so one mile an hour with twenty pound tests and live baits is, is like what he I knows. I like that too, by the way. I mean, I do, I do like too. That too. I do too, but uh, he he's like, I, I don't understand. Like, how how does how do you even how do they even see it? And I'm like, I don't know, but they do, and it works. And it's funny, it's interesting to me. I love how you know, because I'm old enough. I'm I'm still young, but I'm old enough to remember back into the early 2000s and late 90s when when I was real little fishing and all the SK stuff with my dad and over the last 20 years, the progression of in all species of offshore fishing, not just Wahoo, but Kingfish, Cobia, Dolphin, Tuna, how everything, Swordfish, especially uh, mm -hmm. how the sport and its tactics and techniques have evolved over time. And Absolutely. people say, uh, well, technology plays a role in that and Facebook and, and, you know, with the way satellites are nowadays and the electronics on the boats. And yes, a lot of that does play a role, but the fact of the matter is, is someday or well, one day in 20 years ago, somebody was goofing around mm -hmm. and sped the boat up on accident or moving from spot to spot. And they got a Wahoo bite at 20 miles an hour and go, mm -hmm. Hmm, that's kind of weird. Let's try that again. And then it worked. And then slowly from there, people have kind of fine-tuned that tactic and technique to where it is today, and it's an extremely effective way to uh, to target Wahoo. And uh, we're kind of going to get into that now and kind of transition into the how and the, the uh, I guess, the secrets of the trade, if you will. But um, tell me, uh, how, how do your electronics 
uh, play a role in your trip planning process and how are you using them to find fish throughout the day? Well, you know, it, 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 if you're doing a charter, and it's uh, you, you're really not picking your day. You know, usually clients picking the day, and uh, mm-hmm. specifically for Wahoo. But you know, this time of year, you can say we're going fishing on Wednesday, and it may not be it may not be a fishable day for another ten days after that. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, uh, specifically when I'm tournament fishing, and you know we've done pretty well in tournaments, and and I, I what I do is I'm looking for my tradition, you know, looking back through my, my handwritten logs of, you know, it's just a scribbled piece on a piece of paper and a notepad, right? You know, what day, what water temp, where I was at, what I did. And I'll back it up because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pulling my, I'm downloading my card and I'm putting it in my, uh, my PC at the house and I'm looking at things and, and I'm continually analyzing and I'm kind of geeked up in that sense as I'm analyzing the data all right, but I, I'm just going to say this, is that it's great to have data, but uh, your instincts, I think, are better. I think if you're paying attention to the weather pattern, specifically around the moon phase, and you're looking at the, uh, you can get a Roth report, or you can uh, you can get a, uh, I, I get rip charts, right? Mm-hmm. And so I look at the rip charts, and I'm looking for clean water, even though the best day I ever had was in green water on the new moon you know i mean it was an 82 and a 72 in the same day in the in the in the paul dozier's wahoo shootout i mean uh i don't i mean that was a great day for us um and the it was in green water but it was on a bait it was on a bait pod and we stuck to that bait pod something we never do anymore i mean uh we we stuck to that bait pod for Probably, we just said it was too good to leave, and we were the only boat on it, and it took us three hours, but we got, we had a 45, we had a, a 82, we followed it with a, like a 48, and then we followed it with a 72 on the next pass, and I can't tell you, I, I'm pretty sure it was just that the, it was the right time of day, and the bike turned on. If you pay attention to those tidal changes, those are something that, if you pay attention to where your fish are budding in reference to a child change. And you can look at your machine. I have the Simrad in SS and I have a big one. I have a 16 inch and I got a nine inch that goes under it. And uh, I like the 16 inch. I like it big. I like it bigger. And I use the, I use the nine inch for my radar when I'm running out at night. Mm-hmm. So I'm prepping in this fashion. Um, and I'm corresponding to trying to figure out, uh, I really like fishing on overcast days. Um, uh, a low light bite seems to be better for me. Okay. Um, you'll find a lot of guys think that by the way, specifically for Wahoo and Kingfish, low light bites, early morning bites, later in the evening bites, uh, seem to be pretty well. But if you're on an overcast day, I mean, the fishing just seems to be pretty, pretty good. Um, I believe that, and that's kind of, and then I, I try to marry all of the above up. I really want to fish on a, not a completely flat day. That would be nice, but everybody's going to be on top of you on a completely flat day. If you got mm-hmm. a 36 container, you might as well use it because she rides like a beast. Uh, she can be a little wet, but I mean, I can blow through, you know, fours and fives at 30 and get where I want to go. 
the only time it affects you when you're when you slow down to go to 18 to 21 when you're when you're high speeding and she will pitch the boat around a little bit then but i like this fish my best days have been rougher days um a uh, little bit rougher um but i've sworn it all off this year i said i'm i'm fishing the first three best days you know really nice days i'm uh but we'll see how that works. I, I'm not going to try to overanalyze it. The other part is finding those color changes, finding those temperature breaks. And if you have the satellite weather, if you have that, if you have a Simrad unit or you got a Garmin unit where you can get that that uh, temperature uh, map overlaid onto your screen so you can see it, I mean that is a big bonus. Looking for those temperature uh, those temperature breaks, trying to marry that temperature line up with all of your bottom fishing marks all of your buddies' commercial fishing marks. You try to marry it up with there because most of the time you're going to, you're going to hit those fish on some structure. And yep. if you're tournament fishing, you know, in 150 feet or less, uh, the, the shallower you can fish, the better, uh, as long as you're catching fish. Um, I mean, it, you know, my, I think the biggest fish I ever had, uh, was caught on a, those V ladder numbers out there. Uh, biggest fish I ever had, at the ledge was i think about 80 78 to 81 and it was uh it was caught down there on those b liner numbers that's all saint augustine out there on that 307 ish area there and yep. uh that's that's my go-to place by the way if i'm not you, uh, if I'm not having a good if i'm not having a good day i'll run out there and pick up a, a 30 pounder i'm calling ledge fish those 30 pounders i get my confidence and i'll come back in shore mm-hmm. You touched on something that I think is that is very key, and I think it's overlooked in a lot of ways, especially nowadays with technology the way it is. And you, you said the word instinct, and Jack and I have talked a lot about this, and, and it applies to everything outdoors related. It applies to deer hunting, turkey hunting, duck hunting, bass fishing, wahoo fishing, king fishing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There is absolutely no replacement for that fuzzy feeling in your gut. Right. And right. I can I can think of numerous instances um, when you find a spot and you, you go over it, whether you're pulling live bait, dead bait, high speed, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and you go, holy cow, I cannot believe we did not get a bite at that spot. And sometimes you go, there has to be a fish here. There just has to be. Right. And more oftentimes than not, you're right. There is a fish there. You just have to put in a little bit of time, a little bit of effort for that bite to kick in, that tide to get right, the moon position to get right, the water to be right. And that fish, if she's there, she will eat. You have to be there when she does eat. But Absolutely. Yeah, there's I mean, no, that, there's no replacement key. for that. So, you know, yeah. I mean, the Jared, you know, you go out and you have these good days. You have these days where – You'll see, a, you know, for me, uh, just little little things like seeing a bait school. I mean, a, a few years ago, you know, we, we caught everything off, off bait schools. It seemed like we'd see a, some blue runners up on the surface. And as you turned to go to those blue runners, before you got there, you're hooking up double hookups, right? Mm-hmm. It, usually, I think it's harder to entice a fish that is feeding blue runners to bite a big old Mr. Big or, you know, a palmetto, big palmetto uh, lure, you know, something it, because he's looking at these blue runners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're triggering a different sort of bite. 
you know, high-speed Wahoo fishing, and this is just me um, and, and some guys around me. I believe it's uh, – we believe it's a an instinct bite, a, a reactionary bite. They says, hey, that's something that looks good. I'm going to eat it. I'm, I'm not going to smell it. I'm not going to over – I'm not going to swim beside it for, you know, five minutes looking at it. I'm going to – I'm just going to go up and I'm going to eat it, you know. And uh, I believe it's more of a, a reactionary bite than it is for those kingfish bites that you see those kingfish sometimes that are, you know, following bait, following a bait. I mean, if you can, if you can get back there, and I know I've seen them, like, is that fish going to eat? You know, is it going to eat? And, uh, oh, yeah. but I, I believe, and, you know, we've tried to pull cameras and get a little better look at it. Uh, I wanted to give Steve Grant some, uh, some data back about his, uh, the high speed trolling weights that, that he has, which I think are, are, uh, I think they're, a, a difference maker. Um, I think uh, with your, with the there, there, there's a uh, there, there's a video floating around. I've seen it on Facebook and on YouTube of a uh, Yozuri Bonita hard bait getting trolled at, at a high speed pace. I don't know what the speed is, but they have an underwater camera on it. And uh, I don't know, about a 35 or 40 pound Wahoo comes up out of nowhere from behind it at 50 miles an hour and just whacks the, the Yozuri Bonita. Yeah. And you know, that's quite literally what is that's how we're getting bit those fish that's aren't swimming up yeah yeah those fish aren't swimming up you know behind a pogey and looking at it sniffing it and checking it out darting away coming back and looking at it again no they're they see a glimmer they feel the vibration and right. they're off like a rocket uh and they're annihilating that bait but uh, you know that's that seems to be the strike that that we're enticing by high speed trolling and and something else too kind of goes to the root of why even high speed fish is you're eliminating a lot of bycatch there there is oh, some yeah. bycatch there is some bycatch yeah. you know we've caught kingfish and kudas and, and amberjacks on occasion but i would say nine and a half bites out of ten are going to be the right kind absolutely you know and, and when i do the uh, i do the the high speed seminars for for the sportsman you know i talk about that I, and i say Hey, you know, there's, there's the, the, the big advantages of, of high-speed wahoo fishing. You can cover enough ground. You can be fishing and, you know, and run 25 miles in an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes and to, to somewhere else and never take lines out of the water and hit every spot in between and mm-hmm. cover that ground because you may have seen something or you're thinking about once you get out there, you're, you're depending on your instincts. Once you get out there, you do a lot of prep work. We geek up a little bit, you know, we we're, we're looking at the weather. We're looking at the, the, the seas or the sea temps. We're looking at the water clarity. We're looking at the alkalinity. We're looking at all of this stuff on our rip charts, right? We're looking at our, at looking at all that. And then we go, once we get out there, it's, it's, you're, you're on your own. You're, you're basing your instincts off of that. You know, and uh, so you're saying, hey, I think today's the day that we should run up to here uh, or, you know, it's just feeling it out. And I tell you, for, for me, I mean, I, the reason I love high speed is you can cover ground. Secondly, it eliminates bycatch. The only, you know, when you're and, and I'm just going to tell you, if you're catching amberjack, don't move. Alive. Yeah, but don't move. Don't leave because. Some of your best days are if all you gotta do is speed up a little bit, or yep. don't go into don't go into that sharp turn 
where your lures are sinking right by right by the structure. Get past the structure before you make your turn, right? Because that's what happens a lot of times, guys. Uh, Casey's Casey's a Casey is a zigzagging. I mean, I, I I don't zigzag as much as he does. I mean, Casey is uh, in the Navy. We call it Nixie Ops when the uh, aircraft carrier is trying to get away from submarines. It's doing all this zigzag stuff, right? And Casey is man. He's he's and uh, you know Casey catches fish, but you know he'll get he'll get he'll get amberjack. And you know once we start catching amberjacks, you know unless you're continually catching them and you're not catching anything else, just speed up a little bit. Just speed up to get them out of there. And then don't make that turn so close to structure. And if you're fishing out of St. Augustine and you're fishing towards the dry docks, there is no better way to get a quad or even a, a five hookup of amberjack is to go across the amberjack, uh, go across the, the dry docks and make a sharp turn because you're hooked up, baby. You're getting five of them at a time. And, and yeah, everybody, everybody on the, the boat is mad screaming. Yeah, they're all mad at you, man. Yeah. Yep. Hey Tim, I, I got a question. The fish I've ever caught was on a high speed. I got a question, Tim. So, uh, I've never, I've never wahoo fished at all. So this is all brand new to me. So, when you were talking about, uh, there's two part questions. So one, does does barometric pressure uh, play a part in in the weather conditions for you? Um, and two is you were talking about um, temperature change. Is that water temperature or air temperature? It's a water temperature, gotcha. water temperature change. You're looking for, uh, you know, the, the day that we had our day of days, one of our best days ever. Uh, you know, uh, our best, my best day ever, I was with Casey. Uh, we didn't have a fish over 55 pounds, but we had 19 fish. <laughs> we were releasing fish. We only had five people on the boat. And it's before I had my little commercial permit to sell, right? And, I was, and we had 18 or 19 fish. And it was only one o'clock, you know, and we're fishing in a tournament and we're releasing 50 foot, 50 pounders. We were on a temperature break. We were on a temperature break. Then now you talk about barometric pressure. I'm a huge believer in a falling, I'm an air traffic controller. So I call it a falling altimeter, but it's a falling barometric pressure specifically with frontal passage that, that, uh, you know, that frontal passage and we, most of our frontal, most every bit of our frontal passage happens from West to East. So that means if you're out there on the ground and you, grounds and you get a falling altimeter, you're probably going to have a little bit of a rough ride home. Okay, you know it could be, you know, um, but uh, that falling that falling uh, that falling altimeter or that falling barometric pressure, um, I think it triggers it triggers a bite. I absolutely believe in it, and uh, I believe it triggers a bite in kingfish. I believe it triggers a bite in a lot of your pelagic fish. Um, mm -hmm. So I. I think that the, for me, both of those are important. And if I'm going to get back to the temperature change for you, um, I don't know how Jared, Jared, I don't know what temperature you're looking at. A lot of people look at 70 or 72 degrees. I'm looking at 68. 68 I was just fixing to say, I like high sixties. Yeah, I like I cold. Like the colder the water, yeah. the better. Yeah. I like high sixties. Uh, if I start getting out to 72, 74 degree water, I'm not saying you're not going to catch fish. You you are going to catch fish, but you start picking up barracudas. You know, mm -hmm. specifically in turns. Um, you know, you you'll pick up a lot of a lot of times you pull barracuda off. Um, you'll sometimes you'll find a bar barracuda jaw on one of your uh, one of your lures. Hmm. You know, uh, you'll get a little zzz and, and it'll, uh, it'll you'll pull that you'll pull the hook right out of the, the the barracuda's mouth. But 
I'm a, I'm a big believer. Anytime you get above 68 degrees, you need to start putting lines out. Depends on your depth, but depends on water clarity. And if you find some clean water, the bite is always better. You're going to catch more fish in clean water than you are in green water. But it doesn't mean that the, the Wahoo aren't in green water. Because the best day, a couple of the best days I've ever had was in green, cold, 68-degree water. You know, and But we were on some bait schools. We were marking fish in the column. We were working working uh, bottom structure and today you know with the seymour maps and those of you who don't know what a seymour map is it's a map that mops, maps the bottom of the ocean it tells you where every crevice is right and mm -hmm. you find out why you have these bottom spots now why you were catching big red snapper here or why you were catching cobia over there you know and and the, you find a lot of great kingfish places that you never thought oh you'd, you'd yeah. yeah yeah <laughs> I'll say that on the Seymour, the Seymour, and I have it on good authority that in the next 90 to 120 days, there's going to be an update for our region to include. Oh, they're going to squeeze another 150 bucks out of us, I promise you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there, there are no more secret spots. I just, just, if you have a secret spot, it's not secret no more. And I'll tell you the one, the coolest thing for me, seeing the Seymour chip and then fishing as much as we do in the summertime is understanding you know you can you can go over a ledge right you might you might have had the one or two numbers for this ledge but you really didn't know what it looked like you didn't really i mean obviously you could see it on your sonar and you could see the relief that was there um but you didn't have any understanding of you know how big it really was you didn't know necessarily where it started where it ended and what direction it was running and then also one thing that i've figured out is you can go to one end of the same ledge and catch all the bottom fish that you want and go to the other end of the ledge and have the kudas and kingfish hitting your leads on the way down to the bottom. And it'll be Absolutely. 200 yards apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. The And Amberjack as well. You'd be amazed at what I've learned just from being able to see where my boat is positioned at on any particular structure and then seeing the fish hanging around particular sections of it. I hadn't figured out why they do that yet. Um, but it's something that I've observed, and I would imagine Wahoo being a pelagic predator will do similar, will have similar characteristics to that. I, I, I completely agree. I mean, uh, it, it's, uh, I think it has to do with positioning uh, on, with the bait, and that's usually uh, attributed to like uh, tidal, tidal mm -hmm. stuff, you know, where it's, where it's running across that, that, that structure. I can tell you that uh, don't, don't mistake what Wahoo will eat. Um, I was, I was fishing, it was 2017 and our biggest going into our last day and our biggest fish to, for the, for our tournament was 65 pounds. Right. And so we're hoping for a hail, hail Mary. There was only two boats fishing that day. It was rough. I believe it was goodness gracious. I forget their name, but the, the kids on the bottoms up boat, I think, I'm not sure. Oh, Hunter and Reed. Uh, yeah. Hunter, it was Hunter and Reed. Right. And they mm -hmm. were they were fishing out there. It was just us two fishing that day, and they were inshore with me. And uh, I got on some fish, right? And I I hit this mark. I was in 140 feet, and I usually don't fish that deep. And we caught a nice wahoo. We put a like a, a 50 a 52 pounder and a a 38 pounder at the same time to hook up. Well, we, the 32 pounder comes to the boat first. We snatch it and pull it over the side and stick it in, and then we get the 52. 
to the boat. We got him, pulled him in, and out, Jared, out of his mouth, he picked, he pukes up onto the deck of my boat a hand-sized sliver or slice of gag grouper, right? I mean, it was as big as my hand, right? And I'm like, it was so fresh, you, it looks like you could have eat, eaten it, right? And I'm like, this dude was eating grouper. So, I mean, who's enough, you know? And it's when Mark Lacavera had his twin hookup of 80s when he won the tournament, that was the same year, the same year Mark. Mark had, had it in the CV. Yeah, well, yeah, he was yep. in, the, in the big CV. Yep. He uh, he had, uh, I believe they had remora in their stomach. You know? Yeah, that's insane. Uh, it, it is, and you know, and we had a, we had a seventy last year that had, and we caught him, we caught him way away from here. We were a long ways away, right? And it had a, it had, hoagies, bigger. I mean, like. Uh, like grunt-sized pogies. I mean, big pogies in his belly. I'm like, where do these pogies come from? And they're, you know, perfectly cut in half. You know, they're sliced up and they're eating. To me, what they're eating is pretty, pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing stuff when you think about that and uh, they and think about uh, different places. Um, and you know, there, there's places out there where people aren't allowed to bottom fish, and and. I'm being a little subtle about this. They aren't allowed to bottom fish. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bottom fish there. Uh huh. There's a lot. There's a lot of wahoo there. Uh huh. Right. Uh-huh. So, I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, uh, because commercial guys can't go in there, and uh-huh. you know, recreationally, it's a it's a hell of a find if, you, if you're out there, right? Uh huh. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man. I mean, uh, I and, and talking about what I'm pulling. You know, I, for about the last eight years, I've been real coy about it, you know, or try to be coy about what I'm pulling. Let's start with, uh, because we're going to get into that here in a second. Let's start with the rod reel combo. What, 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 you know, are you using straight bunts, bent butts, roller guides, non-roller guides, reel selection? Roller guide bent butts, and then I my 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 right hand guy, uh, my my good friend Flynn Jarrett makes rods, and he made me two bent butts that had the swivel tips on them for my my waist reels, uh, my my waist rods that are up there, my two flat lines that go back. You know, you have I run five rods, and all of them are Shimano Tigers. Um, I, they're all 80s, uh, and uh, so I mean, uh, and and I'm not a guy that can. Uh, that can go out and slap down what it takes to put put together five 80 wide combos. All right, so I've accumulated mine very very uh, coyly, uh, I would say over over the years because my wife would go, "Hey man, I thought you I thought you only had four gold reels." I go, "No, no, <laughs> I got five. I got five. Right? You know." <laughs> and uh, so you know, I I, I I I think the most I ever bought at one time was two. I started out with, uh, I was using 30 wides and then, uh, I was using, uh, you know, I remember my first Wahoo trip, I was using the TLD, uh, 25s and, uh, you know, I wasn't high speed and I was pulling bait and you, you're, you about get spooled on a TLD 25 with 80 pound braid on with a mm-hmm. Wahoo. And so I got, I got the, and, uh, all of them are on bent butts. My, my, uh, close in rods, uh, you know, I, they're the, uh, 
star plasma rods that have the very soft tip, and I they, those double as my swordfish rods when I'm sword fishing. They have very soft tips, and uh, that's what that's how I can tell the difference between my the the regular trolling weights and Steve Grant's uh, those, those what do you call them 200 pros because when you're pulling a 96 ounce lead and a regular one the old ones that we used to pull that thing's oscillating and you can see that end of that rod just kind of bouncing you see the vibration bit. yeah and then yeah. you know the closer you get it to the boat because especially with with a triple engine boat you're going to get a lot of turbulence and that thing's going to be bouncing a little bit more that that who hunter i can get it at 50 feet i can i can put it at 50 feet and she she's she's trolling pretty straight uh and not that i think that that oscillation that happens in that that, that lead is a necessarily a bad thing for the, the lure it may give it more action but i believe it, get, it it entices you know other fish to hit it and you get cut off you know yep with the, you, it, they, you get a lot of lead strikes so to speak Hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what kind of line are you using and leader? I'm using a 135 uh, pound uh, holocore uh, diamond diamond um, diamond uh, made by Diamond Fishing Products. Gotcha. And are you putting any uh, top shot on that before your snap swivel, or are you just running your braid straight to your snap swivel to your lead or to your straight, um, straight to the, straight to the snap swivel, straight to the lead? I got gotcha. you. And Stephen Stephen's leads are the lather ones that are they're almost bullet shaped, uh, yep. kind of like a boat tail bullet shaped. If I'm not mistaken, he he rigs those with cable through the lead, uh, and then you know however you how each individual boat or each individual person is going to figure out how their snap swivel setup is going to be um, right. <laughs> for you know their terminal tackle all the way back to their lure. But Stephen will rig those with cable. And then put a snap swivel on one end and a loop on the other, um, right. you know, for for setting up your 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 trolling lead and then your shock leader. Uh, what yeah, what length shock leader are you running? Okay, so the the thing I've been trying to be coy about for a lot of years is um, I've been pulling. Uh, I, I'm not running a real shock leader. I'm running, uh, and I'll I'll put it out now. I mean, uh, a lot of people know now. Okay. Uh, because because Casey Smith can't keep a secret. Um, the that I'm running a, for most of my my uh, my lures, I'm running a three to four hundred pound uh, mono or excuse me, uh, fluorocarbon. And the fluorocarbon doesn't have very much give, okay? Mm-hmm. But it's very hard. And I run it straight back to the lure, straight back to the hook set. I'm not pulling cable in front of my lure, and I've never lost a fish on. I've never been cut off with three or four hundred pound fluorocarbon. Three hundred pounds my favorite. Depending on what Dave's selling in his tent cell. Yeah, that's what I make them out make them out of. So the only uh, cable in your entire setup is the little sliver that you put on the trolling lead to keep from getting bit off on the lead. No, it, yeah. The, there and the other one is to in the hook set itself. The hook the set itself, hook, yeah. A double hook yeah. set will have a little stretch of uh, cable between the hooks. And then you yeah. typically will wrap that in electrical tape or put a piece of heat shrink to keep yeah. them give them some I, rigidity. I use, I use electrical tape because I want to match it to the color of my, my skirts of my lower. And mm-hmm. I do all my I do all my hook sets. Uh, I make them myself uh, here, here, the, here in the old uh, Wahoo room here. 
at the, the rigging table my son uh, built me. And uh, I make them all myself, and I use 900-pound cable. And, uh, and I was always worried that with the double hook set, that, uh, you know, eventually I'm going to, if, if you, and I don't, I don't know what the biggest wallhead you've ever caught, but we've caught a lot of them over 75 pounds, right? And they seem to, on my boat, okay, when they're, when you catch a fish that big, that lures way down their throat. So we, they're death hooked. They're not coming off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I was always worried that I'm going to have that hundred pound fish that's going to, uh, head shake and rake his teeth and it'll finally go across. But, uh, so I have like my American express that I run on my way back. It's a single 11 knot. It's a single 11 knot and it hangs way out the back. And, uh, I have that 900 pound cable is doubled up all the way to make it stiff. And, uh, I make it stiff as I possibly can. So it kind of goes straight out the back. And, uh, so it's a, it's a single hook. Uh, all of them aren't that way though. I can tell you. Uh, you know, and I don't know that it makes a difference. I think it does. I personally think it does, but a lot of my friends don't do it and they catch decent fish. Yeah. But do you yeah. see a difference in hookup ratios with, uh, on double hook sets where you have the hooks are inline or they are opposed direct opposite directions? They're inline. And They're I, in the, line. the opposed, the opposed for me, uh, the hookup ratio just wasn't near as good. And I pulled yeah. the, the opposed in the beginning, way back in uh, 2008, 2009, uh, I, I, in the beginning, I was pulling both, both sets. And then, uh, you know, we, we as a group, you know, uh, a lot of the guys who were up at hang around C and H and, you know, uh, and talking, you know, and talking to Steve and Steve was, you know, uh, taking their input and uh, modifying that tackle, you know, I mean, the, the amount of lures I lost pulling a hundred pound test, you know, uh, I mean, I, Wahoo fishing is expensive if you're learning on your own. When somebody can take you out or somebody, you can go watch a seminar and they can tell you, you got to have a 135 pound braid and you know, you got to have this and you got to do this. And back in the day, you know, I mean, we're, we started out pulling, you know, trying to pull 80 pound braid and I mean, bam, it's gone. I mean, you're losing hundred dollar setup, you know, yep. $150 setup. And I always check around because there's, there's some good friends of mine that are out there that neither, you know, we've kind of showed them what we've done and they have done very, very well. Right. And, uh, in, in these Wahoo tournaments and, you know, they didn't, they didn't have to go through the process, the, the amount of the thousands of dollars in gas and tackle, uh, it took to learn the fish inshore and to high speed and then the terminal tackle that it took to get there. And, and I'm just going to tell you, there's guys like, Corey Mayer, there's guys like Casey Smith, they, and I, and I'm I, I kind of I'd like to think that we contributed a little bit, you know, me and Dave Law, who we fished together in the beginning, um, and you know we all we all morphed this, and there was other guys too. I mean, there's there's Donnie Sikorsky uh, out of out of South or Central Florida, you know, there's a there's a lot of guys, and Russ Forrest, you know, and and uh, Brian. Oh, I forget Brian's last name. Works at Jim Lux, you know, and Farrell. those guys. Brian Farrell. Yeah, Brian Farrell and those guys. I mean, they, Brian Farrell worked up at CNH, and they put the they listened to us, and they changed. They we came up with the setup that we have now, and uh, you know, and we're always looking for the next thing. We're always like, what's going to be the next thing? 
is the next thing going to be a mag track, a high-speed uh, body that you can pull, or a Nomad DTX, or what is it going to be that's going to catch this fi these fish? Because everybody's doing today. Everybody is really excited about doing what we were doing 10 years ago, and uh, mm -hmm. and we, we were we were just trying to trying to keep close mouth about it a little bit, you know. And and uh, I guess one of the uh, most well-known secrets going back to, you know, Wahoo eating weird bottom fish species is, you know, I think Steve Grant kind of stumbled this on one day. They were cleaning a Wahoo. It had a whole beeliner in its belly. Yep. And and Grant developed a, uh, I forget which lure he put it on. but It's a Mr. Just, Big, Mr. Big beeliner. Yep, There's one sitting yep, right it, here beside me right now. Yep, it was a Mr. Big head. And he put a red skirt with a yellow pinstripe to it. And that was a well-kept secret for a long time, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of out of the bag. I think a lot of the, you know, the struggles of trying to nail down the exact setup that it would take to catch those fish has already been figured out. Everybody's basically right. doing the same thing. And, um, you know, it's, that's attributed to you and, and several others in our region that, you know, took the time to figure it out. Uh, I mean, that, that's a huge commitment. It's a huge risk. Um, you know, I, I laugh and tell guys, I'm like, yeah, we got a $2,000 rod and reel combo with, you know, $200 worth of tackle swing around on the, each, on, on the end of each of them. Uh, right. Don't, don't get tangled up. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't cause it. Tangled, don't get tangled and, that, and that don't break nothing off. Space in your line. So get in your line space. So you don't, you don't tangle them up. And I, I'm telling you, and, and yeah, I mean, I contributed and, and I would, I would be lying if I said we didn't contribute a little bit. But I'm going to tell you what, this is pioneered by, you know, basically in this area. I mean, the, the godfather of it all, maybe the guy didn't fish as much as everybody else, but it was Steve Grant sitting there listening to uh, and talking to guys like Casey Smith. I mean, Kay, Casey and Jimmy Holt. And these guys, these guys are the guys that, you know, I was gunning for those guys. I mean, before I got to know Casey, and, you know, once I got to know him, I really liked him, but I didn't get to know him until – uh, after we started catching big fish because he wasn't going to let us tell, he wasn't going to tell us anything. So we're like, oh, Casey's holding out on us. I don't want to talk to Casey, you know, and Casey, mm -hmm. Casey's holding out. He's, he's holding out. And then, you know, you got Corey Mayer, you know, and Corey Mayer says, so Tim, you got to go to like 2021. Don't be afraid to go that fast. And, you know, I'm looking at him like he's crazy, but I'm, the, the proof is in the pudding. He's catching big fish. So, I mean, and then, you know, I'm forgetting another guy, too. Another guy, that Don Frattle. Don Frattle, you know, he was out there doing this high-speed stuff. You know, maybe around the time, a little bit before I did, but, you know, after Jimmy and Casey and, and Corey and some of those guys. I mean, there is, I mean, those guys, and I say this, and I'm not saying this because Casey's a great guy uh, and, and that he's a good friend, but those guys, this these merchants in this area who uh they they may not realize it but they owe that guy those guys that group of guys that hung out there they owe them a lot because the the tackle sales uh is off the chain it is harder it is more expensive uh to high speed wahoo fish than it is to pull marlin lures uh fishing a big rock and i've done both you know and uh it's 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 a uh, it's it's a pretty expensive endeavor, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. I mean, I, I I'll attach to that. I mean, I've grown up offshore fishing with my dad, and you know, uh, high speed wahoo fishing was new to me 
probably five or six years ago and started kind of, I guess when it really started taking off and getting popular around here and, and guys were having a lot of success doing it. Um, I mean, I couldn't, there's no way I could afford to go buy four or five rods, you know, set up specifically for that. I mean, I pieced together, I got one you know, I had a straight butt 50 wide combo and then I got two more. And so then I had a set of three, which is, you know, enough to go fishing with. And then you invite a buddy on the boat that might have one or two more and you, you kind of hodgepodge your rod set up so that you can go. And Absolutely. then over a, period of t over a period of time, you know, you might find a deal on a used one and you pick up a fourth rod and then you upgrade, you know, the original one that you had and you sell it. And next thing you know, you got four gold reels sitting in the closet and, yeah. uh, you know, two, I have, uh, which we'll get into this in a second. Uh, I run a four rod spread, um, on my boat just from a simplicity standpoint. Um, I'm fishing on a smaller boat though, too, as well. Um, I run two bent butts and two straight butts. My bent butts are, uh, they have nine aught senators with rebuilt drag systems and rebuilt handles. And they all, and both of them have wireline. And then my two straight butts are, um, I have 50 wide Tiagras. I think about it for a second. I have two 50 wide Tiagras on those with 130 pound olicore. Um, and, but it, it, there was no way most people are not in a position to go just say, here's my credit card, Dave Workman, and set me, you know, set me up, give me my lures, give me my rig bags, give me my leads, my shock leaders, my rods, my reels, the whole nine yards. I mean, you walk out of strike zone spending $15,000 on a full setup. It, it happens all the time, by the way. I mean, you, you go, oh, I know it does, it but most it, people it, can't it, do that. Absolutely. You know, and we, so. We, my last setup, my last, my last big reel came because I won a bent butt thing that Paul Dozier was giving away at the Wahoo shootout. I, he drew my number, right, mm -hmm. at, at the kickoff party. And I'm like, man, I'm going to trade this today, man. I'm going to upgrade this to like an 80. And I did. And I upgraded it to an 80. And I snuck the money somehow. I can't remember how I did that. I, uh, I, I snookered the money somehow. I think it was in my safe. And I. I paid for it cash though, and then, then that's when the whole thing. I, I only thought you had like five gold reels. Where did the six <laughs> come from? Uh, yeah, yeah. But and 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 I'd be the first to tell you. I mean, when I I don't know everything there is to know about wahoo fishing by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I've done it enough. We caught some fish. We've had some success, and and, mm -hmm. and I've learned a lot from guys like you and others that that are in our area. And, you know, the first couple years that I was doing it, this is prior to me buying the contender. Um, on other guys' boats, I mean, we had a lot of failure. We caught fish, but there were days where we, the biggest wahoo I ever laid eyes on, I saw 10 feet behind the boat, and the guy's boat that we were on took the engines out of gear, and off he went. Um, and I learned that lesson the hard way. Never never stop the boat, speed up, keep the boat moving 10, 12 miles an hour when the fish coming in. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, that is the that that is 85 80 75 to 80% of the fish that come over the side of my, the saltwater challenge my boat uh, shake your head one time and hope falls right out of the mouth yep the people don't realize how big the hole is and the hole is huge you have yep. to keep pressure on it and fishing a twin engine boat you know i i fished a quad engine boat for wahoo it's a little bit different than fishing a twin engine boat but uh, or even a triple engine boat like mine um with my boat uh going from twin engines to triple engines you you don't get those you don't get that wahoo uh, close to to the motors i mean the idea is to uh turn into that fish 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that can be that can be a little dicey if you have three people in the boat and you're trying to leave a little rod out while you're reeling this fish in. Because if you start going into a left hand turn to bring the fish in at an angle, uh, that is that is to me that's the way you you can get a you can the best way to catch a fish. Uh, you bring him in you, as you start working the the fish. You got to figure out which way he's going, and then you got to be able to figure out which side of the boat you're going to. But you bring him out at a 10 to 15 degree angle, right there at the last 50 feet, and you bring him up, you bring him into the boat at that angle. And what happens is that that fish starts rough, rushing the boat. All the guy driving has to do is straighten the boat out, and you gain your speed immediately back, right? Yep. You gain and you're, your pull, you're pulling tighter against him. You're pulling tighter again, and then. Uh, and then it's at that point you may need to, okay, consider going to the other side of the boat because the Wahoo can fight one way and he gets to the boat and he realizes he's hooked in the other side of his mouth and he wants to go in the other direction. And, uh, you know, that's when you wind up with a fish up under the trim tab or, or that way. I mean, I, I mean, I kind of pride myself on that. It's one thing to hook a fish, but we call it, you know, putting the fish in the boat after he's hooked up is the key to all of this. I mean, you can pull, you can do, you can have the, the, the 42 Freeman with, you know, you can have all the gadgets, you can have all of this, but once you hook that fish, if you come off that power too much, he's going to buck his head one time and you're going to have a bow in that line or he's going to outrun that trolling lead, right? And that's another one. If he inverts himself with that trolling lead, if he swims ahead of that trolling lead, what happens with that hook? The hook's now going to uh, being pulled from behind behind him now and it pulls it mm-hmm. up right out of his mouth and uh i mean we had that 82 one time it was on top of the water we got it up we got it started skiing in jared it was skiing in i sped up and said just real harder once we had him up on top of the water we just pulled him all the way to the boat man you're and, winching them uh, in at that point yeah you're just skiing them in it's like bass yep. fishing we call, i call it drowning them you just dr- <laughs> literally if you can drown a fish and just get him skipping across the surface which yep. an eighty-pound fish is not going to skip, but if he's yeah. if he's just sliding across the surface, speed the boat up, it just winch him in. And if you if for yeah. some reason you can't, if the angler can't get any traction on the reel, um, at that point you're you know the captain's turning around and looking at the fish and just slowly yeah. and carefully turning the boat left or right accordingly to get that it's ground. ground. Yeah, mm-hmm. until the trolling I mean, lead is at the transom. The geometry, the geometry of that, the vectors that are, you know, and I'm an air traffic controller, so I'll say they're vectors. The little offsets you have uh, are, are are paramount, and they're they're key. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, and, a lot of people And a lot, of, that, a lot of those mistakes are made from inexperienced crew guys, and so that's there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, if you're fun fishing, it's one thing, but if you got money on the line, there's, oh, 100, there's 100% uh, uh, some questions that are had before we leave the dock, and, and – Every boat's different. Every captain runs their boat different. I'm sure the way I run my boat is entirely different than the way that you run yours. But, you know, I have an order and a process. When we get bit, you know, there's a there's a, a checklist, a mental checklist in my head. I'm driving the boat, and the rod's going off, and I'm immediately kicking into high gear. Okay, the first thing that needs to get done is X. The second thing is Y. The next thing is Z. And then now we're one-on-one with the fish. And as long as the angler on the reel hasn't made any mistakes or really done anything we're clean and clear and now we can fight this fish one-on-one with no obstructions nothing in the water um 
and that'll really eliminate the opportunity for an error. I guess that's the best way to describe it is just to eliminate the opportunity for a mistake. You're trying to mitigate any of the small stuff. It's no different than kingfishing. When the downrigger goes off, the first thing you do is pop the other one and get them both up up and out of the water. Uh, I mean, get get it out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I tell you the, the other, you know, there's one of the hard lesson for me. I mean, it was a hard lesson. Uh, yeah, I finished fourth, I believe in the Wahoo tournament and I could have won. I mean, uh, you know, I, I say every large fish is death hooked. I think I had one that wasn't, I, we fought it for 40 minutes and I was fighting them on the bit, butt. I was fighting them out of the rod hole. You know, we fought it out of the rod holder. Uh, it is a tournament fishing. Our goal is not to really be a pleasurable experience for the, for the, angler we just want you to get that fish to the boat so we can get a gap in it mm-hmm. and so we're finding it out of the rod holder that it, was, that it was in and with the bent butt you know you got you got a bent butt and you got another 30 degrees on a rod holder that is kind of pointing straight back at the boat and this fish was i mean we had to slow down till to three uh, just under three miles an hour to get line on the reel and you know it, it starts what we call piano stringing the line's so tight it's yeah, you could just take it with your finger and it goes tink, you know. And uh, we fought this fish for 45 minutes. And I had my grandson with me. My grandson's in the Navy right now. But he was with me, and I think he was 15 or 16 at the time. And we're fighting this fish and fighting this fish and fighting this fish. And we get it just about, uh, you know, I think the 50-foot the 50 marker was coming out of the water, basically. So it's 50 feet, my 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 black sloop that I have on there, my my line marker that I had was coming out of the water and we knew we were close and I was getting really excited. And, uh, this is the second day and we had caught us, we had a 65 in the boat and, uh, all of a sudden it, and it was head shaking. I mean, it was head shaking the whole way. It was buck, buck, buck. And it came off. Right. And I mean, I kind of got, I mean, I remember, I remember I said some, I, I said some stuff I mean, to myself. I, I usually don't get mad at people. I get mad at myself. And so I go back there and, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, what could we have done better? And I came up with the idea is that that bent butt pointing almost vertical or, you know, excuse me, horizontal Mm -hmm. um, was not allowing what the rod was intended to do. The tip of that rod is is intended to absorb those head shakes. It's Mm -hmm. it's meant to absorb those head shakes. It's it's meant to act as a spring. Yes, absolutely. And the larger fish you had, the, the the greater the travel in that head shake, which is going to bend that rod even further. And if you're if you've got it pointed straight at the water and it's acting like a winch when you're pulling your boat on the trailer, uh, it's not really a sto- it's not really doing its job. And uh, so I immediately went over to the folks over at Jim Lux and I got two zero degree rod holders and I installed them twelve inches behind my my uh, my my 30 degree where we run when we're trolling right so our first transition uh as we we diagnose the pipe you know you hook up i do some i do a little crazy stuff i mean i'm continually playing playing with it trying to get double and triple hookups uh sometimes i gun the boat after i hook up sometimes i turn into the fish you know like not completely into the fish but i'll I'll make a, a 30 degree left turn and then i'll immediately go a 30 degree right turn just act like a school of bait when a fish gets in it, right? With the other mm-hmm. lures before we come off, before we come off the pounce, right? So 
Um, I, I took and I, we take and uh, I put that zero degree rod holder in there. And when we, when we diagnose the fight, we come back to 10 or 12, we diagnose what, what kind of fish is this? If it feels smoking at eight miles an hour, you got a decent fish more than likely, you know? And so you, you come back to usually most people are fighting between six and eight miles an hour. Uh, that's when they're doing, that's when they can start getting a line on the reel. And uh, before we get to start, before we start reeling, we transition that rod to that zero degree rod holder. And now that rod tip is up in the air and it's allowed to do its job. You know, mm-hmm. we, we don't, you know, if we had a straight butt, I mean, one of the guys put a straight butt in at one time, I said, what are you doing? You know, that's meant for the bent butt, you know, but that is just another little thing because I lost that fish and I'm pretty sure it was, it was a, a 70 degree, a 70 pounder or plus, probably 75 pounder plus. Uh, you know, um, you can't, you, you, I can never tell you if it was a 90 or a hundred. It just, it was a big fish. And yep. I said, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen again. And because <laughs> I could see the rod tip was bouncing up and down three or four inches because he was head shaking as it was behind the boat. And then when you put it in the zero degree rod holder, well, that rod's now up at a 30 degree angle, right? That, that rod is absorbing that head shake and it's springing back to keep that line or keep it tight and give it and as just to, much advantage as you can. And just to clarify for the listener, he's not, they're not trolling with the bent butts in the zero degree rod holders. They're strictly using those to fight the fish. Is that correct? That's it. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Hey Tim, so what, uh, what is your all time favorite lure and weight combo? Well, I'm going to, I've got two, and they're always in my spread. And one is the B liner. It's always going to be a, it's always a B liner color. It may not be a Mr. Big. It may be a Palmetto. It may be a, a Fathom. It may be a you know another CNH double XL head. But it's going to be the B liner color. It's going to be a 275 feet my spread, almost 99 percent of the time. And then about 85% of the time or 80% of the time on the way back at 350 feet is going to be the American Express, not the oversized ones, the, the regular midsize American Express. And uh, that one is always going to be on, it's always going to have, you know, the 30 foot shot of 300 pound fluorocarbon in front of it. That's always going to have fluorocarbon on it because it's way back in, uh, you know, the fish is looking at that that one in cleaner water than he's looking at the one at 50 feet or at 125 feet. You know that when you're causing a turbulence, that water, that water there, he's going to get. They're not going to get a, better, a good look at that those lures as they are that one at 350 feet back there. Mm-hmm. You guys ever use like a that one? Bonita strips or anything yeah, like that? I, I'm sorry, I missed out. What'd you say? Do you guys ever use like Bonita strips or anything like that, or is that more South Florida? That's where I oh, used to I, live. I did. That. I, I, I used to. I okay. absolutely used to before I started high speed. Gotcha. Um, uh, Bonita strips work great for the guys fishing the beach out of, uh, out of Palm Beach, out of Boynton Beach. That's where I'm from. That area. Yeah. They, they're, work, they're, working that, they're working those Bonita strips off the beach in their 22-foot center consoles while they're talking on their cell phone. I mean, I'm <laughs> so jealous of those guys. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I mean, they, I, I'm looking up on Wahoo Junkies, the, the, the group, and, and they're they're putting their their live feeds out there as they're catching fish every single day. Yeah, you know, for like the last week, they've been killing it down there. Oh yeah, 
Now, on that shotgun lure, when you put the American Express way back, are you running a weight in front of it or no weight at all? There seems to be some debate on the on the way back lure if you're putting lead in front of it or not. Okay, here, here if it's the resin head American Express, I'm running a 24-ounce weight in front of it, okay? Um, if it is uh, one of your masterminds or, or um, you know, the – you know, the guy down in St. Augustine, uh, he, he, he sells those triple neck heavy lures. Goodness, how can I forget his name? I was just down there the other day. Uh, what, what, the uh, lure shop there that's in the, uh, in the, uh, goodness oh, gracious. Uh, uh, I could have told you if you hadn't brought it up. He makes these uh, heavier lures. If I got one of those and I put it back there, I got to put it back to like 400 feet. Uh, I'll run it without a weight, but it weighs like 40 ounces, right? Yeah, it's and, Beamish. Uh, it's Beamish custom tackle. Roland Beamish, yeah, Roland yep. Beamish, yeah. And uh, he makes, uh, and my buddy Jeff Lynch is good friends with him, and Jeff buys a lot of those lures, and Jeff Lynch fishes with me. And we'll, we'll, you know, one of the things is, is that, you know, I've loosened up lately where I let them start pull, pulling lures that they want to pull, which wasn't, hasn't been always been the fact. I'm just like, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like, uh, we got to pull this one. We got to pull that one. Um, but yeah, uh, the on the way back, I always, most all the time, I'm running a, a 24 ounce weight. Spell. I got you. Um, so Casey came up with this product called Leash It, and I have one, and I know you have one. Um, explain to the li- listener what it is how it works and the role that it plays uh, in, in the functionality of it when we're high-speed trolling. I think the functionality of the leash, it, and, and, it, and all you got to do is go to, I believe it's a leash-it.com, and you can look at it. And what it does is it's a, it's a rope with uh, the Prusit nuts on it, and, uh, and it attaches to your, to your rod, where we run rod tethers, by the way. For those of us who have actually lost a rod, I have lost a bent butt, but it was an Okuma, and it was a long time ago uh, before, I, before I had – I went to rod leashes after that. I mean, it was a long time ago. It was probably 14, 15 years ago. I lost a, I lost a little bent butt. But these are rod tethers. When you're trolling, when you're high-speed trolling, you know, uh, these rods can just jump out, man. They'll ju- mm-hmm. You'll see them jump out. Even if, it's, if you have a, a normal – rod tether where it's tethered to a hook under your gunnel and it goes out and it's a spring coil or it's a piece of rope that is attached to your rod it's still rod still going to go over the side it's going to damage your boat and it's going to get get wet okay um it's you're not going to lose it but it's not going anywhere i mean it's going to it's going to but it's going to you're probably going to lose some gel coat and we know how gel coat costs gel coat is gold you know um so Casey came up with this uh, about three or four years ago, and he was talking to me about it. I said, man, I think it's a great idea. You know? And we're, we're talking about it, we're talking about it, we're talking about it, and he starts making them. And as soon as he made me one, right? And I'm like, I love this thing. And what it does is it has a, a singular line, and I'm an air traffic controller. I should be able to uh, explain this clearly, but I probably won't. It lays on top of your, your, your gunnel going down, and it goes to your rod, over the top of your rod. It usually attaches to a midship cleat and then one to the, uh, the a stern cleat, right? Mm-hmm. And then it, yep. as it goes down, it has like these little tethers that are uh, attached to it with the little clips that you would tether 
you would normally tether a rod tether. And what it allows you to do is once you get the rod in there, you click the tether on it, and then you pull that Prusit knot back. And for those of you that, and I believe that's the name of the knot. It is. Hunters use it when they're when they're climbing trees, right? You, mm-hmm. If you start pulling on it, it ain't going nowhere. And so it now the rod itself is not going to jump out of the rod holder and go away. It's not even going to come out of the rod holder. You can see it come loose. It'll start swaying back in two. But it's 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 not it's going not anywhere because it's, it's not sliding up. And let's just say, okay, now you want to transition from the the 30 degree rod holder to the zero degree rod holder on my boat. You don't even have to unclip it. All you got to do is pull it loose and slide the whole combo up and set it in there and then pull it tight again until you're ready to transition uh, the the angler to the front of the boat when you're trying to gap the fish. And for those of us that have manually like tried to lift. Uh, hooked up fish on a 50 wide combo uh, while the boat is moving and untie the, the rod tether and then move the rod to a different rod holder to fight the fish. It is like wrestling a bear and it can it very, is. very quickly get away from you and you would lose a fish, a whole rod set up, tackle the whole nine yards could quickly go overboard uh, yep. just because of how uh, unwieldy it is and how much tension and weight is on those rods when you pick them when you get them up and out of the rod holder and you're trying to move them around um it's very easy to lose one that way so keeping the rod clipped in the whole time and just being able to slide that prusik knot forwards or backwards uh as you're you know moving rods and repositioning to fight a fish off a certain side of the boat or whatever uh makes the life a lot easier and, and less stressful from trying to not lose a two thousand dollar combo you know, I, I say this, uh, I say this, and, you know, there are very few innovative things that happen in the fishing business because a lot of guys, have, commercial fishermen, have figured things out. You know, mm-hmm. they, they figured out ways to jerry-rig things, and they've come up with very innovative things. And when Casey came up with this, you know, I was, like, nuts about it. I'm like, Casey, this is one of the few innovative things that people come up with, which you have a lot in the fishing community itself. And Jared, you can attest to this, and it's the same way with hunting, by the way. You have a lot of imitation. You don't have oh, a lot of innovation. You have, you know, when you find that innovative thing, you know, um, it sells itself. It absolutely sells itself. And uh, Casey sold a lot of them. Since he's been building the house, he ain't pushed it too much, right? Because he's going crazy building his house right now. But I'm telling you, one of the smartest things that come along in a long time is the leash it system and it can be used for anything i mean it can be literally used to put your bumpers on as you're coming to the dock you know because i keep my boat at the marina and you know sometimes it stays in the water overnight because the marina is closed when i get back and we use it to attach our bumpers when we're tied up to the dock oh absolutely they definitely are versatile in, in their use and uh, uh they I use them pretty much 95% of the time for Wahoo fishing specifically. But if we are, uh, you know, if we're going for a little booze cruise or on a Sunday afternoon from Jackson, St. Augustine, I'll put them on the boat just for being able to quickly clip in dock bumpers when we pull up the Palm Valley or the conch house and not have to tie you know, fiddle around with tying them off to the hosses or the cleats or, you know, the handrail or anything like that. They're already there and in place and it's out of the way and it's clean. So it's a, it's a great product, and any Wahoo fisherman should definitely invest in that. Absolutely, and a sword fisherman. Uh, 
You know, those guys at Bluefin Tuna Fish, they really, those guys on Wicked Tuna, and I told Casey if he could ever get his his little system on, like the, you know, one of those boats up there, that would, I mean, that would, it would oh, just take Yeah, that's enough, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I just, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm not making more of this just because he's my, my friend and I like him a whole lot and he's good people and he's, you know, he's married over his head and, and his kid's <laughs> the best fisherman in the family. That is that is a fact though. Cannon Cannon outfishes Casey. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And Cannon Cannon's you know Cannon goes fishing with me all the time without his parents, man. I mean, of course he stays at our house. I mean, we're you know we, you know we're like surrogate grandparents so for Cannon. But you know I mean every time Cannon comes fishing with me, we catch fish. He's like a little horseshoe, man. I'm telling you, Cannon. <laughs> The guy, and, and you know, another guy that's really a horseshoe on my boat, and I don't know if you know him. Uh, do you know a guy named Justin Bullard? I, the name rings a bell. I know of him. He, I don't know him personally. He was, he, was, he was on Naked and Afraid, right? And he is uh-huh. a fire, he's an engineer with Nassau County Fire and Rescue, a good friend of my son's, right? And when Justin comes fishing with me, man, I'm like, I want him on the boat during the Wahoo tournament because we may not catch the biggest fish. But we can catch a whole lot of fish. I never <laughs> went fishing with that guy. And, I mean, one of the days was a 52 dolphin day. We had 52 dolphin one day with him. We Jack's only like 40. that. Yeah. Jack, Jack on the phone, with he's like that. Jack, tell uh, Tim the first time I took you on the contender, what, what literally happened when we came off of plane. Oh, yeah, we, we caught a whole bunch of fish. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pull up at the spot. uh and as soon as the boat comes off plane and the depth recorder like starts cleaning up and clearing up, I'm like, Oh crap, there's a lot of bait here this morning. And it was right after daylight. I grabbed a spinning rod that I had set up with a vertical jig on it just to drop it down and see what was home. And no sooner than it hit the bottom, it gets doubled over by about a 35 pound cobia first dropped. And we were there 27 seconds. And I look at Jack and I'm like, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Usually you got to wait a little bit till they swim to the boat. You know, yeah, I, I can I can tell you with Cannon, I took Cannon bottom fishing with me, uh, this summer early the early summer right in June, and we were out there and we put a we free lined a dead sardine out on a like a one on, uh, hook, and uh, you know thirty pound fluorocarbon in front of it because we were trying to catch you know a dolphin you know, and it was June early June, and we literally caught a fifty two pound wahoo, hooked right in the quarter corner of the mouth i mean cannon fought that thing for probably 20 minutes on the spinning rod and i mean yeah and it you know the spinning rod's a dial of 5000 one of those purple and blue ones right and uh salt i believe it's a salty so i'm not sure anyway we fought he fought that thing for 25 minutes he handed the rod off then the wahoo came up and got tail wrapped and once the wahoo got tail wrapped we owned him right and mm-hmm. uh, then we pulled him to the boat once again. But yeah, a 52 pound wahoo is amazing. I'm like, Cannon's a horseshoe, man. Cannon's a yeah. When I fish with Cannon, I always catch fish. Every time Cannon comes fishing with me. So uh, let's uh, transition the conversation into your new uh, format. You have a, a brand spanking new wahoo tournament fishing format that you just came out with, I believe, this morning. And it's on the Wahoo Junkies Facebook page uh, for those of you that are interested. And uh, it, it's it's a new and innovative way to, to do a large-scale 
uh, Captain's Choice Tournament, and I'll let Tim kind of fill in the details from there. Well, to to talk, it's a it's a Wahoo Junkies. We we called it the uh, World uh, the Wahoo World Challenge, and uh, we you know we got what uh, close to thirteen thousand people on Wahoo Junkies, and we screen everybody that comes in. You just can't. By the way, if you're you know if you're Al Qaeda trying to get in, you're not going to get in. You know, <laughs> I think, uh, I, I, I think uh, ISIS has tried to get in like four or five times. We won't run that. But uh, you know, we screen everybody that comes in. And for a couple of years now, I have a good friend of mine, uh, Flynn Jarrett, and Flynn fishes with me. He's a he's a docking pilot with the Mayport Pilots. I believe and, his boat uh, name is the Rumline. No, no, no. Flynn has a little boat called the Kill Switch. All right. Hmm. And Flynn Jarrett, he's a uh, but I do know the Rumline boat. I think I know that guy too. But Flynn Flynn was said, man, you know, if we could do a Wahoo World Cup, that would be awesome. You know, like they do with the uh, Marlin World Cup, and I'm going, yeah. I said I just don't know how we do about it, you know. And then, uh, you know, we've been talking about it for two years, and so, you know, I talked about it with Casey a little bit, and I, so I came up with, well, there's no way to wave fish. We got guys in Saipan, we got guys in Wahoo Junkies off the islands of uh, island of or they're off of Columbia on an island. We got guys that are. Uh, stationed overseas we got guys in hawaii we got guys in everywhere i mean they're just everywhere and specifically in south america we got a lot of folks from south america all through the caribbean Rosa. the bahamas yeah yep. and, and and they all they're all like me uh, not maybe not as crazy as me but they're they, they all love to wahoo fish and they love to put up their catches and they love to talk talk about you know, specifically a lot of techniques and different stuff and so I said, how cool would it be if I could put something together and say, um, let's have a little informal or a formal competition, but friendly competition, not make it so stressful that people would cheat for something. And so I, I, uh, my first call was to Brian Dufek with uh, Shimano. And uh, I, I, I called Brian and I said, hey, Brian, we had been talking about doing something with Wahoo Junkies for a long time. And Brian says, we can get behind that. We we uh, we can uh, Shimano of North America can get behind that. We and uh, specifically he can. And I said, uh, you think you could partner with Dave, Dave Workman, Captain Dave Workman down at the Strike Zone, Slant Wahoo Zone, to maybe come up with something. And so they're in the they're in the process of coming up with a, a combo. And uh, I I know what I'm hoping for, and uh, hopefully we'll get it. Um, but give, give away a high-speed Wahoo combo of some sort. And uh, and we know what me and you like. Hopefully that's mm-hmm. what we'll get. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of that depends on Shimano. And then yeah. I talked to uh, Toby at uh, Mag Bay, and uh, Toby, Toby was uh, in with Mag Bay. They're going to give us some stuff to give away in the prize structure. And then I talked to, uh, you know, Roger Beal down at Beal Marina Casualty. He's my insurance guy. And, and my relative guy that uh, he talks to me we, when we talk, it's like an hour and a half on the phone and uh, it, it, he can, he can talk you now. And uh, Roger, Bill Marine and Casualty got behind it. Steve Grant with Diamond Fishing Products got behind it. You know, Ken Maisie and Bo Hall from uh, Seaworks got behind it. And just a few minutes ago, um, CNH Lures, uh, Sean Carpenter with CNH Lures, they got behind it. And I'm going to have more people come on board and hopefully, 
we're going to try and we're going to give away uh, prizes and uh, and different stuff. Hopefully, um, that we can we can do some real good stuff. And the t-shirts are on there. There's little t-shirts I made up, and uh, they, you know that's what we. I put it on there yet last night. Uh, I guess I worked on it till about one o'clock in the morning, and I woke up at like eight thirty. And, and I, I sold a whole bunch of t-shirts and we've got some, some we've got a few registrations um, and uh, yeah, it, it, unless, and we've had some right while I'm talking to you, there's a couple of them popped up that them have, mm-hmm. have been bought. But the way it works is because we don't have way scales all the way through the nation. And if me and you were fishing in a tournament, we probably want that way scale. And I said, the only way to make this fair is let's just go with length. Okay. And I was talking to Flynn. I was talking to Joe Crawford that has a CAPS app down out of Costa Rica. And uh, Joe has this app that basically you can it's you can have informal competitions on this app. All right. And I was talking to Joe and I was talking to a bunch of folks about this. And we I decided that uh, I'm going to just have to give in and go with Link. And so we came up with a way to ensure uh, that we can try to keep it as clean and as honest as we possibly can. The first one is, is like uh, the little Kingfish kids, Kingfish Derby that we did this year. Just don't make the prize, the lead prize so outrageous that people are willing to share. Yeah. That's step one. Yeah. And secondly, make it cheap so they can take it a little bit more lightly. Um, It it ain't always going to be that way. I promise you this one will go off and people are going to have fun and all, even if it's $25 again next year, they're going to be competing for it now. They're going to mm-hmm. want it. And that's cool. But let's make this where we can keep it as honest as we possibly can. So we're going with overall length. And for and we have boats and we have anglers. Okay. So if you to, to weigh a fish or not to weigh a fish, to submit a fish or post a fish, you got to register for the tournament. It's like $25. So you register for the tournament, $25. And now... You can go fishing on anybody's boat you want to. You can take a charter. You can do whatever. And during from November 14th to January 10th, you can post three fish. And you're gonna. And once you post your three, you're done. And it'll be the length, the overall combined length of all of those fish. So it's an, aggr- your- it's an aggregate format of length. Is that correct? Yeah, aggregate format of length, three fish okay. length over t- that time period. So. But you only get three tries. So you got to think. I love that when you make people think, do I really want to submit this fish or do I not want to submit this fish? So you you put it on. Oh, that's where the gamesmanship comes in. And then uh, we made a strapper cab- category for boats. And the boats, uh, they have to have registered anglers on board. And they, they're going to be competing. And right now, I think I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at a real good prize for them, the, the rod and reel combo that I hope to get from uh, or we're going to get from Shimano and strike zone will go to the angler, but the boat side, I think we may be looking at something pretty good for that too, but everybody's going to get a trophy. That's where the money's going. It's going for, for trophies. Not everybody. This It's not going to be a participant trophy. All right. But you'll get, you know, one through five or whatever we can afford to give. We're going to give, give that away. And, uh, and basically it's worldwide. And it starts at sunrise on November 14th, where if you're in Guam, and my, my boy Adam Grant out in, out in Guam, you know, he, he'll start.
start at sunrise there, and it'll end at sunset for, for the last time zone, wherever it is. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's out there towards in the Pacific somewhere, our last time zone. So, you know, it's, uh, and it's, it's fun, and I'll post it into, to basically submit your catch. You just got to take a video of you measuring the fish when the fish is in the boat. And if you're not weighing that fish in another tournament, like uh, the, the Wahoo tournament that the Blue Water Club is putting on or anything like that, you must cut the peck fin off of that fish. And the fish can only lay on its right side with the left side up. And then once you, in the, in the continuous video of you measuring that fish, you have to cut that peck fin off. We won't accept it if the fish is on the right side. We won't accept it if the peck fin's been cut off. Uh, we, it's just little ways to ensure the, the cleanest product yeah for yep. honesty and then but if you're weighing a fish like in a south carolina tournament or a tournament out of here that we're having in december if you're gonna weigh that fish in that tournament we say you don't have to cut that fan off you have to measure it and get the get the video of you measuring it but you don't have to cut that peg fan off we don't want you to lose an ounce or two ounces we you take that fish but you've got to videotape the weigh-in of that fish and send me a copy of the waist slip, you know, or a picture of the waist slip. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's basically it. And uh, hopefully we'll have some fun competition. And little bragging rights. Yes, it's more for bragging rights. And on the uh, you know, www.wahoojunkies.com is where you sign up. And that's where the leaderboards will be. And it'll be updated on, uh, on the Wahoo Junkies group. If you're not part of the Wahoo Junkies group, just look for it. Uh, there's a couple questions there. And uh, the, the surest way to get kicked out of the, the Wahoo Junkies group is to be a smart aleck or start advertising your crap. And, uh, you know, I always say if you want to sponsor Wahoo Junkies and send us stuff to give away because – and you don't send it to me. Usually they, we have it where they send it directly. To, uh, donate something, and I'll profile your product. You know, I'll put it up there and tell people about it. And uh, so, so that tournament format, people can go online to wahoojunkies.com or go on Facebook to Wahoo Junkies and find more information about that and all the entry yeah. forms and Wahoo all that Junkies. stuff. Wahoojunkies.com has all of the information, the rules, the uh, time frame, and the, the, you know, the, uh, the entries where you can pay for the entries right there. Yep. Um, and they will have the and, leaderboards and everything else. And one last thing as we wrap this up here. Uh, on the Wahoo Junkies Facebook page, there is currently a drawing slash giveaway for veterans and active servicemen um, for a custom bent butt and I believe a Mag Bay lure. Is it a Mag Bay lure? No, it's a it's a. Uh, let me let me look at it here because I, I just I just saw it just a minute. It's a uh, Brian Conley from Conley Rods. Uh, yep. He it's a uh, and he is it's a uh, some sort of jet and I man I hope I. I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak here because he's doing us a great favor by donating this. It is a called a 40 ounce, 40 ounce to torpedo lure. If you look at that lure, it looks like a mastermind lure. I think mastermind may have sold their lures uh, business to him. But anyway, last year's winner was Chief Cinnamon Souza from. She's a, a P8, a P8 person. She flies on the Navy P8s, which is a souped up 737 that goes out and kills submarines and uh chief Souza won that last year 
And uh, I tell you, there's some, if you haven't seen it, this particular post, there are some great, great pictures on here. There's a picture on here. And I, what is it? Mike Kirk. Mike Kirk served from 1967 through 1988. He retired from the Army. And in 2008, they recalled him back to active duty. And so he was he's a, he's a command first sergeant. And so he was on active duty from 2008 to 2012. And he has a picture of him in uniform on active duty with his granddaughter in her Navy uniform. And that by far is my favorite picture. I had to, I had to call that guy. I mean, I literally friended him on Facebook and said, man, I got to know this guy. This guy was in Vietnam, did, you know, multiple tours in Vietnam and spent a career in the army. And then 20 years after he retired, they recalled him back to active duty. Well, this is a giveaway specifically for vets. And if you're inside of you're in the Wahoo junkies group, it's for veterans only. And Brian Conley has been so gracious to give away that there's other people giving away other stuff that I haven't announced yet to, to the veterans uh, drawing there. And what you do is you'll put your picture of you in active duty uh, uh, in response to this post. And at that point, and then you put your, your dates of service, like David Sativa here is a 2006 to present. So he's been in for 14 years and it shows him he's on a, a forward operating base in Afghanistan. Uh, and then there's Anthony Peake, Chief Anthony Peake. I believe he's the chief and when he was in. And those of you who don't know Anthony Peake, he's a fine flounder fisherman here. And, uh, and he was in the Navy for, I think, 22 years. And then there's guys here. Uh, is, I mean, Air Cab, you know, all of the, all, a lot of great pictures of guys in uniform here. I just got, I just got a picture of me at my retirement with my, with my boy. All my folks that were the closest to me. Um, mm-hmm. So... But that's uh, that's really cool. There's not uh, uh, I can't think really outside of the fishing community. Um, and there's like wounded warrior and, and veteran services in, in all different uh, industries and, and hobbies and interests. But uh, certainly for a Facebook page that's taken off like the Wahoo Junkies has to really put forth a lot of effort into thanking our servicemen and women uh, and doing drawings and giveaways specifically for them i can't thank you enough for that that's uh, very impressive well jared you know i'm a little biased so because uh I'm, I'm a retired guy retired military and it was great for me and uh i i have i have i have tremendous affection for the eight percent of our military that is uh, does all the fighting and dying okay because only eight percent of the military does the fighting and dying the rest of us were in support stats all right mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, it's always been a goal of mine to do something specifically for veterans that is completely, what's the right word, that doesn't involve you, you know, that, that you get nothing from it, right? And, uh, you know, it, people say I'm doing a good thing. I'm only doing what somebody else would do, I'm quite sure. And, you know, I just happen to have people that I just give them a call and they say, yeah, I'll give away this rod and reel stuff. I'll do this or I'll do that. And uh, this is a good thing. You know, my good friend Casey Smith, uh, ex-Army uh, Airborne, 82nd Airborne out of Fort Bragg. You know, these, these people are very, very near and dear to our hearts, so specifically uh, our, our wounded vets that come back that, uh, that folks the folks don't really even pay attention to. Uh, they, they may see the, the, the guy that's uh, 
lost two legs in, in his right arm because he was driving a Humvee and, and he got blown up by the IED. But there's a lot of stuff you don't see. And, you know, the head first charity out there for the guys that are suffering from uh, a lot of, a lot of guys your age suffering from uh, the after effects of that environment and coming home. And, you know, and, and Jared, I just tell you right now, it, all you got to do is look at a couple pictures there and you'll see the difference between here and everywhere else in the world. And, uh, you know, we live, in, we live, we live in a virtual, uh, in a, and people hate it when I say this, I said, we live in a virtual paradise. You can go to the, you can go to the kangaroo and buy milk for God's sake, but we want to argue about everything. And mm -hmm. this is, a, you look at these pictures and this brings it to, we're all here. We're all the same. And we're all, you know, we all have a great life here. And one of these pictures that shows a guy, they have an L foxhole dug and they're both sleeping. Right. And, I'm, and then they have their, their, uh, their saw up there on a, on a bipod, you know, and it was unmanned. And I'm thinking, ah, well, who took the picture? Obviously the guy who was manning the saw, uh, the semi-automatic weapon, you know, and, uh, Man, that weapon while they were sleeping, and then you know the things. You know, I, I love the stories. Uh, you know, a lot of I spent a lot of time over there, and specifically as a senior person in the Navy, not as a junior person. So my life was a lot better than a lot of those guys after 9/11. But the the uh, you know you see those guys sleeping in that foxhole, man, and it's broad daylight, and you're like, ah, that's gotta suck, man. That's gotta suck. You know, and uh, we sit back and. We're, we're arguing about, we get angry because uh, Gardner Minshew's got fractures in his thumb. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, problem. Gardner, Gardner Minshew's got a, fra a fractured thumb for three games. What, two games now? Or two or three games? Yeah. Yeah, his hand's broke. Yeah. But, uh, well, Tim, we want to be respectful of your time. We've, uh, this very quickly turned into a very lengthy podcast, but a very informative, so educational. No, 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 please don't be. And I think, uh, I think Jack's learned quite a bit. I've learned, you know, a lot of stuff. We enjoyed having you, and uh, uh, and I look forward to doing this again in the future, and and certainly participating in the Wahoo tournament you guys are going to be putting on this this coming winter. Uh, any any closing statements or questions or comments, Jack? No, I Tim. I just want to say yes, yes, oh, yesterday was yes, yesterday was National First Responders Day, and I really want to do something for them. And uh, I didn't get to, I, 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 I was late to the trigger. Uh, next year, I'm going to remember First Responders Day, and we're going to do something for them next year. Yeah, amen to that. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm not a Wahoo fisherman, but I look forward to Jared bringing me along at one time. And uh, it's it's great to hear about anyone's passion for, it sounds like you truly are a junkie for Wahoo fishing. And I'm oh, sure anyone that, I, that are fellow junkies are going to probably, you know, hit play and listen to this podcast multiple times just to put, pick apart your, part your words because it sounds like you have a lot of knowledge and experience when it comes to Wahoo fishing. So I really thank you for your yeah, time, you're Tim. Not, you're not a fly fisherman, are you? No, not really. I, oh, yeah, there. I was hoping to ping on you about being a fly fisherman. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm actually uh, – I lived in Palm Beach County for a while, so that's why – I asked about the strips and I spent a lot of time in the keys inshore fishing. So I'm more of an inshore guy mainly because it's cheaper, but <laughs> <laughs> well, so. thank you guys for having me. And, uh, you know, uh, 
we'd love to, you know, we do our Oahu Junkies uh, live stream, you know, once a month. We use it on a Wednesday. Our next one is on Veterans Day, and we'll do our Veterans Day drawing on that day. Uh, we'll pick from a couple of great people here that have served their country so well and do our do our drawing. But thank you guys for having me. Uh, there, there's about a, a thousand different other things I could talk about Wahoo fishing. So uh, I'm sorry I took up a lot of your time. Uh, and, uh, we'll definitely have you back. We, there, there's a lot of other nuances and, and, and tactics and techniques that we didn't even even mention, much less cover. Uh, we could turn Wahoo fishing into a three podcast series very quickly. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it, it would be it would be great if you could get Casey Smith to. I mean, because he'll talk about everything else. You know, he will talk. I mean, he'll talk Euro, but when he starts talking about Wahoo fishing, well, what do you do? Uh, what do you do? He <laughs> never wants to give up any information. We should get actually, him and me at the same time, and I can beat him up for you. I was thinking uh, we might do a part two to this, Jack, and do a meat fishing. Uh, pulling bait for wahoo and blue water species and i might call steven grant see if he wants to because he seems to be the meat guy because he fished with don combs for so many years don was like the meat fishing expert for our region yeah you know who else is really good man i don't know if you know him. ryan rotifer is a expert wahoo meat fisherman so. i do not know ryan uh, i actually was talking to hayden engler uh this past week and he's more of a billfish guy but he pulls a lot of meat um, a lot of those tactics cr cross over and there's a lot of, you know, I say bycatch, but, um, a lot of the same tactics, you, tactics that you'd use for catching Wahoo on bait will catch dolphin and sailfish and marlin and absolutely. pretty much everything else black, under the sun. Blackfin tuna. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So right, and next time, next time we'll talk about wire lines and we'll, uh, I'll give you all of Don, Don Frattle's secrets about wire lines and maybe <laughs> If he, as long as he's not listening to this podcast, I'll be okay. But I don't think we've reached Don Frattle yet. <laughs> I, got feeling, I got a feeling we might after this, but we, I don't right. think we've reached Don Frattle yet. All right. Well, thank you guys, and I appreciate I appreciate what you're doing, and uh, keep up the good work, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Tim. Thank, thank you for your time. Good and, luck this and, season and your your effort. Thank you, buddy. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Cool. Thanks for tuning in to the Our Stomping Ground podcast. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Our Stomping Ground podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at Our Stomping Ground. See you next time.